It says, uh, no, let me start that again. Uh, Let's turn to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a passage which should be familiar, and yet so often, I believe, is just confined to uh, this time of year, and so it can feel refreshing and uh, new again when we read it. And we should give attention, as Paul says, to the public reading of Scripture. And so Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the Scriptures say, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray, and then we'll turn to the explanation of God's word. Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning. We can gather in this place. We can hear your word. We can open it. And we can seek to understand it. Lord, we understand the words so many times. We, we hear the story. But we can forget the spiritual impact or the implications. We can forget the, not, not that there is a, a deeper meaning that's hidden, but we can just read on the surface and not dig down and say, what does this mean? Part of that is because we've become familiar. And when we're familiar with something, sometimes we can hold that in contempt. And we can say, there's, there's nothing here that I don't know. There's nothing here that I haven't heard. There's nothing here that's new. There's nothing that's exciting. But Lord, you are good to us. You call us to return again and again. And to wonder afresh at what you've done. We pray that you'd help us to see this morning, Lord, with eyes as if for the first time. Some of the reasons, another reason, rather, why we hear the word and we're not awed is that we've just not thought about these things. We have, we have lived on, on the surface. We have, we have considered 
the story, and we consider it just that, a story. That, that these people who lived through these events that are recorded, that they're just characters, that they are players, actors of some kind, and that they don't have real struggles, and that they weren't real as we are real. But Lord, you work with real people and make real promises. And so we pray that you'd help us to see in a, in a day and age that we consider to be so much more sophisticated and technologically advanced. And we, we, we act like we're struggling with different problems. And yet the things that we struggle with are the same. And so we ask that you'd speak to us, fill our hearts, satisfy our longings and our needs, and give us answers, we pray, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's funny, I had an experience, I, I've read this story in a, uh, in a, in a book, um, of like sermon illustrations, which in general I don't I don't use. Uh, I don't look in books and say, "What can I drop into my my sermon?" You know, I just kind of pull whatever's speaking to me or whatever I think of while I'm prepping. I put that in my sermon. Uh, but years and years ago, uh, I read I read this account of a, a small child, and then this actually happened in 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 my own life. It was interesting. It was like, "Wow, look at that." Um, we were we were in our house. And uh, I, was, I was there with Hank, who may or may not remember this. Um, and, uh, and, and we were sitting there, and I said, what are, you, what are you doing? And he said, I'm drawing God. And I said, wait, 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 wait. eyebrows up, you know. You, you, you wait, you know, there are commandments against this, right? You know, let's, let's talk about that. You, you, can't, you can't draw God. You're not supposed to, to do that. You're breaking a command. You know, and so he's sitting there and I'm like, besides, no one. And this is my 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 theology. Right. Coming through. I'm, I'm thinking now about uh, the gospel of, of John. No one has ever seen God. Right. The only uh, the only God who's at the father's side has made God known. And so I'm like, nobody knows what God looks like. To which Hank responds dismissively as he points at the page. He's like. You will in a minute. <laughs> I, I find that at one point, both, you know, I mean, how do you, what, what do you do at that point? You know, take the paper and tear it up, you know, idolater. No, you know, good job. Uh, the truth of what John reveals to us in his gospel, he says in, in John 1 that no one has ever seen God. And yet, at the same time, we, we hear that the Word was there in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The, the Son who came and who uh, embodied the, 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 the physical presence of, of God on earth, the second person of the Trinity, he had been there and he made God known. It's true that in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God but by the time we get to John 14, 9, Jesus is able to say to Philip, who, who Philip, Philip is, is there, they're, they're, they're at the, the, the Last Supper and they're talking with Jesus and discussing things and he's saying that he's going to go away and they're, they're depressed and they're struggling with, with their faith. And, and Philip says, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Like, if you show us the Father, then we'll believe Jesus says to, to, to Philip, have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We spoke last week and we talked about the fact that it is, it is incredibly important to believe that when, when Jesus came, that he was a human savior, that he took on flesh and became real. And, and I think that, that many times, just, just because we, we believe in the deity of Jesus, that we think of him as somehow distant and removed and unconnected with, with our experience. And, and when we do that, we diminish his humanity. 
we reduce his humanity. He was fully human. As human as any human being has ever been. The Bible says that, that he was acquainted with our sufferings and that he was, he, his, his, uh, he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and he was made like us in every way except without sin. He's just like us. And yet, okay, that was last week. We have to believe when we, when we consider what's going on at Christmas, when we, when we celebrate, this is not just the birth of a, of, a, of a human teacher who comes to us and says, live a different way. Consider a different perspective. Hey, don't, don't punch your enemies. Love them. You know, he's not just coming up with an alternate way of living and then teaching it. And we ought to respect him as as this great teacher. The scriptures tell us that something different is going on here, that that the son of God, the image and reflection of his glory has taken on human flesh and come down among us. That God took on human form. And so I want to I want to look at that as we look at these first 20 verses of Luke chapter two. The scriptures say that that Mary pondered these things that had happened, that she treasured them and she considered them. Have you had this experience of of being in your house, maybe or or in your office or someplace else, maybe at a, at a loved one's house, and you have an opportunity to bring out something old or to review something, whether it's a photo album, or you're, you're looking through a box that's got things in it that you've stored up, and you, you remove these things and you look at them and you consider them and you think about the past and you think about things that have happened and you have this appreciation or, or a deep sense of, of, of history or tradition, uh, Mary stored up the things that happened and she, she pondered them. I want to look at, uh, at, at three of those and then we'll look at uh, the message that God proclaimed through the angels. It says that, that Mary treasured these things. Wow, that was interesting. That was not my phone. Someone's phone is up here. It's all right. We're going to be fine. Um, <laughs> Mary must have met up with Luke at some point. Luke says in the first uh, four verses that, that, that people were wondering about, uh, about Jesus' life and they were considering the growth of the early church. And Luke says that he, he took it upon himself to put together an orderly timeline of how those things had happened. And in, uh, we, we would consider this today. Somebody's texting. It's all right. It's all going to be okay. Cool. Um, so, uh, so, so what Luke did was he went around, he did his research. There are stories in the gospel of Luke. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're going to be just fine. Um, it's, uh, he, he goes around, he does his research. He probably sat with Mary and had a discussion with her where she related the details of her life and her experience. And she shared these things with Luke. There are three events that take place in this in this section. There are three journeys that take place on the night which Jesus is born. Um, and, and these are these are things that that Mary pondered and, and treasured and helped her her uh, sustain her faith over time. The first thing that we see in this passage is the difficult arrival in Bethlehem. Imagine that you're about to give birth. I don't really know what that's like. I know what it's like to be around when someone gives birth four times, right? I've been, I've been around, seen it, uh, but I don't know what it's like. I know, I know that when, uh, when, when birth, uh, the time to give birth got close, my wife wanted to be closer to home, right? We're not traveling. We're not going anywhere. No trips, right? You know, we're going to be close to home. We're going to have everything ready so that at the right moment we can go, right? It is about 10 minutes from our house to PRMC, right? And it was 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And that, what's that? 
by foot or by donkey, which, you know, now I'll tell you this, right? It is 10 minutes to PRMC. And the thing that I dreaded most about that night, right? You know, I mean, there are all kinds of things that you can worry about and be anxious about, but they're all worries, you know, and sometimes the things that you worry about don't come true, but this was going to be true, right? In order to get to the hospital, uh, somehow it's like ingrained in my mind that when I leave my house, I drive and I drive down Fitzwater Street, which if anybody knows is like full of potholes and bumps, right? Like, I don't know why I don't learn. I pour coffee into a regular mug and I drive down that road and it all comes out. It goes all over the place. It's all over the console. It's on the carpet because Fitzwater Street is a nightmare, right? But I'm only on it for 30 seconds or 45 seconds and then it's over, right? Think about this. Joseph learns that he's got to travel to Bethlehem. This is not a road full of, of, of police cars and state troopers and, you know, there's no Wawa's or Royal Farms or, you know, there's robbers and there's bare, desolate places where you can get attacked by wild animals. In large part, we've eliminated the threat of wild animals on the road around here, haven't we? Like, I mean... Nobody, nobody ever says, like, oh, I barely made it to church because I got attacked by a mountain lion. <laughs> this was a dangerous, treacherous thing. But Caesar Augustus had taken the throne, and he wanted to know how many people he ruled over. He had installed a governor named Quirinius, whose name I just said near perfectly. Don't know why I couldn't have gotten it out back then. But... In order for prophecy to be fulfilled, in order for a Messiah to be born in the right place, the Lord moves the heart of the emperor of the entire known world, the most powerful person alive at that time. And he declares that there would be a census. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Think about that, and then think about what gets you nervous and anxious as you watch the news, right? We get stressed out and worked up over politics and what could happen. These events that we're living through are just as real as the events that they were living through. And the Lord is in control. He is, he is involved, and he is shaping things toward his will. Now, it's difficult because we're not exactly sure what his will is for us in history or for our future, but we know that if he is in control in the past, then he is in control in the present and in the future. And he declared that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so at the right moment, Joseph learns that he's got to move his pregnant wife And get her to Bethlehem for a census. And they travel. This dangerous journey. Micah 5.2 says, You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Caesar Augustus. Uh, originally named uh, Octavius. He took the name Augustus, which means holy or revered, right? You know, uh, that the the word August means uh, esteemed. He he took this name to, to demonstrate that he was the greatest of the Caesars. And his great role in history, I mean, think of all the things that Caesar Augustus did that you know of now from history, right? What you know is that he was Caesar... And that he declared that there would be a census, right? That's what we know of him popularly in history. And somebody who's like, ah, burr, 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 you know, this, that, and the other thing, and they list out 10 facts, like, they, that's a geek for history. Like, nobody knows anything about Caesar Augustus anymore, but they know lots of things about Jesus. Because he's just a footnote in history, and Jesus is the center of history, He made a powerful decree that caused a bunch of people to move around. They were wailing and moaning about it, I'm sure. And they were complaining and griping and plotting revolutions. And if they had email and Twitter, 
we'd be able to read like hundreds of angry posts, you know, like, gotta go to my hometown, you know, the nerve. Who does Caesar think he is? They traveled. They traveled so unexpectedly that they didn't have the nursery ready. They didn't have all the gear prepped, right? You know, they had to, they had to travel. And when they got to the place where they were going to stay, they had difficulty finding a place. Now, scholars argue whether or not Jesus was born and, and they couldn't find a place to stay at a traveler's inn or whether or not there, there was no room prepped and there was no family space set aside for him, whether they, they stayed in a, in a limestone cave, we're not sure. But the scriptures point out that, that when he was born, he was placed in a feed box, right? He was put in a feeding trough because there was no place ready for him. They didn't, they didn't travel, you know, this is not the day and age of, of Joseph, you know, putting together some collapsible cradle or crib. It, you know, as a carpenter, he probably could have done it, but he didn't have any time, right? He had to go. He had to get them to Bethlehem to be enrolled. It's interesting that Luke will later point out in his gospel that there are no coincidences and that God is in control. It's so interesting. There's, there's a crowd of people in Luke chapter 8 who welcome Jesus. They're excited for him to come, and, and he's teaching and preaching. And this man named Jairus comes to him. He's, he's the head of a synagogue. He's kind of like the pastor of a church, but it was a bit more of, you know, it wasn't like a full-time thing. This is like a social position. And so Jairus is the, the head of the synagogue, an esteemed and prominent man, somebody who you would respect and listen to. to. And he had a daughter who was 12 years old. And she was sick, dying. Comes to Jesus, come and save my daughter. He's got faith, right? He believes that if Jesus could just come, that she'll be healed. And as he's going, the people press around him. And uh, I, I can remember hearing this for the very first time. It's so vivid, this moment. Something that I just read over. I just passed over, over and over again until this pastor uh, in South Carolina pointed it out during one of his messages. He said, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood and she came up to him and she touched him, right? And she gets healed. But what did I skip over? The fact that, that she had been bleeding for 12 years. And then interesting, the little girl's 12 years old and she's dying. Is it possible at the same moment that she was born, this woman got sick? And created this moment, this encounter where she's dying and someone is saying, if you would just come, you could save her. You could save her. Like you can you can fix this. You've got to come now. And and this moment is set up where this woman interrupts Jesus and stops him from giving this man exactly what he wants most. And he's thinking this is an absolute, complete, and total crisis. Everything is falling apart. He learns that his daughter has died. And he says, never mind, it's too late. And Jesus says, what did I tell you? If you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. Don't lose faith. He goes to the house. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to wake her up. And everybody laughs at him. Tells his disciples, get rid of those people. And they put him out of the house, right? And then he says to her, wake up. That was, this is, this is a, a horrible day for this man. But it was completely under control and in the plan of God. Because there are no coincidences with God. He arranges and controls and he knows. He knows. And we need to trust and follow this was not convenient. It was dangerous. But God was, was moving and setting things up according to his plan. The, the second journey that we see, the first is the dangerous journey to Bethlehem. The second is the quiet arrival of God. I'm not sure that we can track 
the distance or the energy expended or the cost. Uh, 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem is quantifiable, but how far was God's journey? It's hard to, to measure that. It's, a, it's a, 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 a trip in which the eternal Son of God, he, he had to lay aside his glory and his rights. He doesn't lay aside his power or anything like that. He doesn't, he doesn't become different. This is not Superman 2, where, if you recall, Christopher Reeve right, goes into the chamber and becomes a human being so that he can really know what it's like to be a human being. And then he, he's, like, he's like, oh, I'll just use my super strength to stop this guy from bullying me. And he's like, oh, I'm weak. It's not like that. And then he's like, oh, powers. It's not like that for Jesus. Jesus lays aside the free use of his divine choice, right? He comes to earth and he lives under the authority of the Father. He lives as a human being. He doesn't become less. He just adds humanity to himself. He takes upon our likeness. It it may have been instantaneous, but think about this. All human history had built up to this moment. The scripture says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the way it's using grace there. It's not, the, the apostle's not saying um, that, that these are, are uh, God's riches given to us at Christ's expense, which is how some people abbreviate grace, right? It doesn't, it's, it's, that's not what he's saying there. He's saying, you know, you, when, when you think about Jesus, you, you realize the, the blessing of what he did. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet, for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The, the journey, the arrival of Jesus, is that, is that he says it's time to take on flesh. It's time to, to lay aside the free use of, of my God-like attributes, and to embrace humanity, and to go and to serve Here's, here's what I, I, I think. I, I think I've been tricked by my own thinking into believing that this, is, this was a, a tough decision for him. I don't think it was. I think this was natural because I think this is his character. This is the father's character and the son's. They are not arrogant, nor are they proud. They are more humble than any human beings who have ever lived. And so Jesus just takes upon himself what is completely natural and normal to him, the form of a servant. And he serves for our sake. There are all kinds of things that God could have done. Think about it. He he is able to move the heart of a king to create a worldwide census that rearranges all kinds of people. He could have set up, like, decent housing for himself, right? Safe journey, you know, make everything nice and plush for his mom. You know, one day be able to say to her, you know, I set that all up for you. <laughs> say thanks, mom, you know. Uh, he, could have, he could have fed himself in the wilderness. He could have called 10,000 angels to comfort him in the garden or to rescue him. He could have left the cross. Ray Stedman says this, it's not what God could do, but instead what he willed to do. God's will, Christ's will, was that through the incarnation, through the embodiment of of himself becoming a human being, that, that he would lay aside his riches and become poor for us so that we can become rich through him. All of the humility and the suffering and the indignities that he suffered were for our sake. He took all of that upon himself so that we could become rich. His journey 
to the cross begins with having no place in which to be, to be placed when he's born. He suffers being... The, the, the world offering him no accommodations when he's born. His whole life was like this. So that when he goes to the cross, he fully identifies with all human beings. Those who are forgotten and not thought of and neglected at the moment of their birth. To those who in the moment of their death are oppressed and treated unjustly. He endured all of that for us. It's interesting to consider the words of the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where the last verse reads this way, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And then it says, mild he lays his glory by. That's the incarnation right there, where, where he sets aside all of his free use of his divine ability. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. He fully identifies with each and every human being in every aspect of suffering that they would ever endure. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is the, 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 the songwriter, Charles Wesley, calls us to praise the Lord Jesus and to be excited about what he's done for us, not on the basis of, of his miracles or the impressive things that he did, but on the fact that he took upon himself all kinds of unimpressive and oppressive things. His glory is in what many of us would consider shame that he would be willing to do that. He does that for us. Mary would treasure the circumstances of his birth and and, and the implications of, of what had happened, and she would consider this through the years, just as she considered her own, uh, her own difficult journey arranged by the Lord. Third trip that night is the surprise arrival of the shepherds. Uh, I don't know what your image of Mary is. Um, I don't think that she necessarily, you know, was ready for photos after, after giving birth, you know, that, that she was, she was probably tired, right? Exhausted, long trip, weary after giving birth, but also that, that, that little, uh, you know, bit of vitality that comes when the baby's here, you know, like super excited or her and Joseph, like we have a baby, you know, this is great. They're so excited. At some point, the little drummer boy shows up, right? You know, and they gotta, they gotta drive him away. Not true kids. No little drummer boy there. Um, but these shepherds show up. You know, that's kind of creepy, right? You know, they're sitting there treasuring their child and there's a noise at the cave. They, I don't know if they, maybe there's like some kind of gate that they're knocking on or they, Joseph hears a noise and he looks up and he sees all these guys standing there looking and, and, and watching. Think about what Mary's been through at this point. She's probably thinking at some point during these nine months, like, am I crazy did, 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 what I, I, did what I think happened actually happen? Was that like a weird dream that, that my baby's going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world? She'd become an outcast at home. She'd given birth in a cave, right? Ladies like their environment to be nice, don't they? Like they want, like, you know, for years I was always like, I'd say to Nancy, it works, it works, right? You know, it works. And she's like, no, 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 functional and pretty, right? <laughs> Not just functional. Don't just, you know, some janky messed up thing, you know, want it to be, to be nice. That's the, the normal way of things. And you wonder, you know, is there a moment at which she's thinking, what am I doing here? I've got a baby, we're in a cave somewhere. You know, and wondering, 
who am I? Where am I? What is going on? And, and, and you will feel this at times in your life. You'll feel like, has God abandoned me? Has he left me? What is happening? Mary would encounter these moments throughout her life. When Jesus wouldn't claim his rightful place as Messiah, she's like prompting him at a wedding. Go ahead, fix this problem, Jesus. Fix it. You know, make wine. Jesus is like, it's not my time. Not yet. So he does this secret miracle. He wasn't teaching the way that they thought. Everybody's rejecting him and he's creating controversy. And Mary and his brothers and, and, and Jesus' brothers come to get Jesus and to bring him home. What is Jesus' response to her? Who, who are my mother and my brothers? He rejects her. She's like, what? And probably goes home without seeing him. And then I believe she expects that his moment is going to come during his trial. Maybe before they put him on the cross. Waiting, watching at the cross. And suddenly he's, he's talking to his disciple John and, and assigning her into his care. What is happening here? This is not what I signed up for. This isn't the way that it was supposed to go. But then the shepherds show up, right? Here she is in a cave and these shepherds show up and they're like, Joseph's like, can we help you? Right? And the shepherds say, we're out in the field, right? We were just hanging with our sheep. This is what we do, you know? They didn't, they didn't lock them up in pens because, you know, uh, stone and wood and these kinds of things are expensive, right? You know, rich people, rich landholders have got that kind of stuff. These are just average shepherds who like keep their flocks together, right? They have to constantly inspect their flocks. And so they're out watching their flocks by night and these angels appear and they say, we've got a message for you of exceeding great joy. The Messiah has been born and they go off to find out and to go and to find him. And so in the middle, perhaps, of this, of this crisis moment or, or when she encountered these things at different points in her lives and she wondered, what, what is going on? Who is, what is God like? And why aren't circumstances working the way that I expected? She could go back to her memory and pull out this event that happened. She'd had to travel to Bethlehem. She believed that she had given birth to the Messiah. And maybe she was struggling with some kind of doubt, but there in the dark of night, these shepherds show up and say, angels appeared to us and told us we'd find a baby in a feed box. And there he is. And they said, he's the Messiah. Well, does, that, does that just erase all doubt from her mind? I don't know. But I think it serves as a reminder and a testimony to her to be faithful throughout the years. As, as believers, we need to be, to be careful to, to remember these things and to put them in the box of our memories so that we can bring them out and remind ourselves at a later time to trust in God's faithfulness to us. Jacob, right, he had an experience with the Lord where, where he saw angels coming up and down a ladder. And when he woke up in the morning, he set up a pile of stones to remind him where it took place and what it took place. And he said, the Lord's going to be faithful to me. If he brings me back to this place, I'm going to remember him and I'm going to worship him. And you can look through the whole Old Testament and there's all these places where they're constantly piling up stones as a reminder to themselves. Creating a record for yourself of God's faithfulness in the way in which he demonstrates that there are no coincidences and that he's leading and guiding you is important. It's a, it's a light to remind you of the truth in dark places. Mary had three strange events to ponder. These, the, the, the journey that she took, the, the journey of, of her son to, to, to uh, take on flesh. And then the journey of the shepherds. Let's proclaim, oh, let's, let's consider as we wrap up the message that God proclaims. 
Uh, there were no coincidences that night. There's, there's a message that God desires that we hear. There's, a, there's a, a way in which God has set things up so that when we hear the message, we will say, that is for me. And that's God's desire and his intent. God, is, it's his intent that all people would hear the message, but he speaks the message in the beginning. He delivers the truth to a specific group of people so that we'll believe that it's really for all people. Okay, the, 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 the word, the announcement of Jesus' birth goes to the shepherds so that, so that we and all people will know who the message is for. Just as it was no accident that Jesus was born in poor and humble circumstances, God's word went to those who were in poor and humble circumstances, right? It went to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay on purpose, This is not just to create some serene, you know, idyllic setting for songwriting in the future. It was was given to these folks on purpose. Shepherds were generally considered the lowest people in the socioeconomic order. They were a despised class of people with a bad reputation. They were nomads and probably had a bit of a let's say it kindly, a loose sense of ownership of property. They need something. Their reputation was they just took it. They were constantly with animals. And so they were considered religiously unclean and unacceptable. And yet they raised the animals used every day in households, food, and sacrifices. It's poetic but also incredibly meaningful that that announcing the birth of the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sin of the world, that Jesus is, that his birth is announced to shepherds. Shepherd is a a term of honor within the church now, right? It's it's considered a term of of strength or of, of faithfulness or of care, but it didn't mean that then. Nobody would have thought of this as a badge of honor. What God is, is saying, in addition to the, to the things that we'll point out in just a moment, is that the gospel is for all people, not just for the wealthy or the educated, but that good news that will give you great joy is for all people. Amen. And so the angels say a few things. The first thing that the angels say is, don't be afraid. I, I'm, I, I actually texted John to ask, John Render to ask, is this irony, right? That angels show up and they're like, hey, don't be afraid, but they are terrifying, right? You know, is that, is that ironic? I'm not sure. Um, it, it feels ironic. The, but but the, the, we, are, we struggle as a society right now, we struggle and we grapple with fear of the future, with uncertainty, whether it's related to um, you know, our, our, the, the, our, our jobs. We, we wonder about the future of our kids and about our nation. We grapple with so many things. Uh, we are an anxious people. We fear the coming of death. But God passes on good news. He started that day proclaiming through the angels, and he says it to us today, do not be afraid. One pastor I've heard say that this shows up uh, in the Bible so often that there's one promise for every day of the year. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't worry. And then there's one for leap year. It's repeated over and over and over again. Whatever happens to you, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. The angel says, you don't have to be afraid. Next, God says to the angel, through the angel, today a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born to us, right? God himself takes on flesh. He, he becomes like us, and he is Christ the Lord. He enters the world in the, the fragile form of a little baby so that we'll know that we have a claim to him. He is like us. God is willing and, and desires to become like us. The word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. He says, I've become like you so that you can know me. God calls us to be humble and to be kind and to give and to love, but he doesn't shout that at us and then not do it himself. Philippians 2 says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking upon himself the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. God takes upon himself what he requires of us. He does this so that we can see that he is like us and he understands us. The scriptures say that we have a high priest who's made just like us in all manner except without sin and that he can sympathize with our weaknesses so that in a time of need we'll draw near to the throne of grace knowing that the one who sits on that throne understands us. That's my interpretation, that last phrase there. Our tendency is to run away in fear like Adam and Eve when we've done wrong. But knowing that we have a human savior who understands us and knows us means that we can draw near and say, I have done this thing. And God says, I know, I know, I understand. And he's there for us. A.W. Tozer says this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he'd have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he'd have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for grace and forgiveness. And so God sent us a savior. And he clothed himself in human form so that we would not see him as condemning and arrogant and proud. We would see him as a pioneer and a brother and a friend. Emmanuel, his name means God with us. The angel says, communicating the word of of the Lord, the angel, he says, to them that Messiah has been born. There's no command to go and seek him. Isn't that interesting? You'll find him. But it doesn't say go and find him. You'll, you'll find him. He identifies the Messiah, but doesn't command them to go. This is how you'll know that it's him. And after the angels leave, the shepherds look at each other and say, you all right? Like, you okay? I'm Okay. <laughs> That was weird, huh? Right? Like, what just happened? You know, do they, they say, you know, they say to each other, like, did you see what I saw? And then they talk about it. And at some point they say, let's go find this kid. <laughs> right? What are you doing? Or you're just going to be here all night. Right? Let's go. And they get up and they go to find the Messiah. Let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has, has told us about. And so they go and they see him now. Now, maybe today this wouldn't happen, but they didn't know about germs back then. You know, like they didn't, they, they, they didn't have Purell hanging up in the cave. You know, I wonder if they go and they see, did, did Mary say, you want to hold the baby? <laughs> but they go and they find Messiah and they share in their joy. Did they invite them in? Come on in and see. The announcement that God is with us, that he is here, that he is offering forgiveness, that he is gracious, that he's kind, that he understands us. All of these things come with the invitation for us to make them our own, to put our faith and trust in Christ. to to believe that he is our savior and that he offers us forgiveness. And we need to respond. I figured out what RSVP means. Uh, I've always wondered, like, what do those words mean? They're French. Respond, s'il vous plaît. Some of you knew this because you're elegant, right? The, The invitation comes that Messiah is here for us. That, that he understands us, that he knows. And, and we're called to believe that no matter what journey that we take, no matter what danger we're in, 
No matter what struggle we go through, that, that God has sent his son to identify with us, to save us and to address our every true need and to restore our relationship with the Father. And then he gives us all these signs and he points to us that he is with us and he is stewarding our lives. But it's important that we respond in faith and that we say, I want that, I need it, and that we say, thank you. And so the Lord points out the truth to us, but what he wants us to do is to supply the response and to say, I want that, and to go and to pursue it and find it. To respond with gratitude like the shepherds, to respond with interest. The scriptures say over and over in many different ways that, that we'll seek him when we find, when, when, that when we, when we seek him, we'll find him. That when we pursue him, that he will allow himself to be found. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And so the encouragement is seeing as how God has provided such a good savior, one who is like us, and yet one who in order to get the job done is completely and utterly unlike us, being fully God. When he calls to us and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do we say, yes, I'm coming. I want that. And do we receive him by faith? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to hear your word. We thank you that you've, you've given us good news to share. I pray that, that we would be like those shepherds who, who when, when they left that place after they had met your son, after they'd met you, Lord Jesus, they shared, they explained to everyone what they had heard. They, they went and they explained and they said that they had found the Messiah and they were excited about him. They shared the goodness of what God had revealed. And I pray that we would be the same, that we would share your grace and your kindness and your goodness, and that we would treasure it, Lord, through the, through the most difficult times. Father, sustain us with your goodness. Encourage us, help us. Help us to be fueled with gratitude and kindness, Lord, that we might live your will each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.